Hello, we're back for a new week of talking about what's going on across the Southeast. John Rawl is my name, and get on board, because this is Y'all Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. We hope your weekend was spectacular, and here on this Monday edition of the Y'all Show, we've got all the news headlines coming in from across the region, including, it looks like, potential hurricane hitting the Sunshine State and perhaps some other states across the southeast. We'll give you all the info from the tropics here in a second. Also in our news headlines of the day, we've got, of course, all of the happenings out of that unfortunate shooting in Jacksonville, Florida over the weekend where a person went into a Dollar General store and killed three people before killing himself. According to authorities, this was a racist shooter. We'll give you all the info out of Duval County on that story. A fire continues to rage in southwest Louisiana. We'll tell you about the Beauregard fire and our headlines across the southeast today. Today's also marks in history the actual 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr. and the Washington March. And so today, President Biden and Vice President Harris are going to be meeting with the family of Martin Luther King on this, the 60th anniversary of that famous 1963 march on washington that's in our headlines plus the two-term governor of tennessee don sunquist has passed away and he was governor of the volunteer state back in the 1990s don sunquist dying at age 87 we'll bring you the info from the state of tennessee on that plus there continues to be an outbreak of shootings and unfortunately deaths at high school football games. We just got this thing going a couple of weeks ago and we saw over the weekend a shooting in Oklahoma that has left one person dead. There were shootings and other incidents at high school games across the southeast. What is going on? I'll explain. I'll give you the latest on that in our news headlines today. Plus, a new state record for an alligator caught in the Magnolia State, 14 feet 3 inches. I'll tell you where in Mississippi this was captured, and you might want to stay out of Mississippi thanks to this over 14-foot-long gator captured in Mississippi in the last few days. All that is part of our news headlines here on today's Y'all Show. We also have coming your way in our opening hour the latest in sports news Victor Hovland is the big winner on the PGA Tour as he won the Tour Championship at East Lake on Sunday. We'll tell you his payday and much more as golf's season officially unwound and came to an end Sunday in DeKalb County, Georgia. We'll have all that information. Plus, we have hashtag hullabaloo coming your way in this opening hour. And we've got a fun little thing that we found on social media Smash or Trash, a fairly significant social media person, has started a Smash or Trash with a picture they've got out on social media that's got delicious food. It looks like good, delicious southern food, I should point out. And we'll tell you what that is, and are you going to smash or trash what they're putting out there for everybody to see? All that, plus a lot of feedback on the incredibly hot temperatures that the South quote here enjoyed end quote most of the last couple of days now today a lot of southern states are not quite as hot as they have been thank the lord but yes the last couple of days have been uncomfortably 
warm across the southeast and a lot of people on social media are chiming in we've got that as part of our hashtag huddle blue coming up here in this opening hour hour two today not only will we will we have your latest and news headlines coming in from across the southeast but we are going to have a southern history spotlight and today marks the day that emmett till was officially found dead in the mississippi delta we'll tell you about that illinois kid who went south in the mid-1950s to mississippi and ended up losing his life and how that was a spark for the civil rights movement that plus another spark in the civil rights movement today marks the 60th anniversary of the march on washington and i'll tell you a little bit more about that day and that march and the section of that official headline of the march on washington that often gets left out it was a march for jobs and poverty a lot of people may think it was only about the struggle of blacks in this country but i'll explain a little bit more about the march on washington when we have our southern history spotlight in hour number two plus a couple of people having birthdays today former new york yankees star ron gidry with a birthday today plus the pearl mississippi native leanne rhymes has a birthday today how old is leanne well stay tuned in hour two i'll let you know what the blue singer is turning today also in our second hour of today's y'all show the south and our picnics we love those picnics what's often found at southern picnics broccoli salad and we've got a delicious broccoli salad recipe courtesy of the mississippi food network and i'll tell you exactly what it is and how simple it is to make all that as part of our southern recipe of the day that's coming to you little broccoli salad talk at hour number two and then hour three it's going to be back with megan as megan headwall is going to make a heroic return here on this monday y'all show and she's coming on to talk about tips for managing stress and other things so we'll have all that great conversation with megan in hour number three plus we're continuing on getting you ready for the kickoff officially of college football this weekend i know we had some games this past weekend i'll give you the scores of those games when we have our southern sports update in just a few minutes but the real start of college football is when virtually everybody kicks off this coming week meet weekend which means thursday through monday night we've got was that four or five days of college football coming your way starting thursday just hours away and as we're celebrating the return of college football we're on a tour across the southeast we've taken you from places like fayetteville arkansas to clemson south carolina we've featured tulane we've featured the big schools we've featured the small schools like the samford bulldogs today it's our first of our last five schools that we're getting you set up for for the start of college football today we're going to be on the 40 acres as we're spotlighting the texas longhorns of the big 12 soon to be sec member texas longhorns we'll tell you all about steve sarkeesian's team we'll let you hear from the head coach of the horns and we'll give you some of the great traditions you'll find when you go support the burn orange of texas it's all longhorns in our final hour of today's y'all show and a little heads up on tuesday's y'all show we're also going to feature ut the ones in knoxville it's all about the tennessee vols on our tuesday y'all show college football preview 
Wednesday's Y'all Show, we're going to be taking you to Tallahassee. It's all about the Florida State Seminoles and Mike Norvell's team in the top ten as they get ready to play the LSU Tigers in Orlando in a couple of days. So it'll be all Knowles on Wednesday. Thursday's Y'all Show, it is about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Roll Tide. Are they going to end up in the national championship again after being away from it for a few years? We'll let you know about Nick Saban's 2023 team and so much more as the Crimson Tide, our featured school Thursday. And then Friday, we're going to wrap it all up with a little bit of a surprise. This team is actually going to sort of be hosting College Game Day this weekend. College Game Day is going to be in Charlotte where the North Carolina Tar Heels battle the South Carolina Gamecocks at Bank of America Stadium. And in honor of this team playing as part of the Duke's Mayonnaise kickoff game and this being the ESPN College Game Day atmosphere in Charlotte this weekend, it's all about Shane Beamer and the South Carolina Gamecocks. That's our school that will feature last as they're going to be taking on the heels this weekend as part of that big Charlotte event. So Gamecocks on Friday, Crimson Tide Thursday. Wednesday, it's all about the Knowles. Tuesday, it's all about the Vols. Today, it's all about the Longhorns. Right here on the Y'all Show, we appreciate all the great guests that we've had as we've been building up getting you ready for kickoff each and every day the last couple of weeks or so loved having Seabass drop by our Friday show as the Vanderbilt Commodores were getting ready for their opening game against the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors and Mr. Bass came on from VandySports.com to help preview Clark Lee's ball club and we'll tell you tell you exactly how Lee's doors did this past weekend in Nashville in our sports headlines that we'll be getting to in just a few minutes so that's all ahead on the Y'all Show. Can't wait to cover it for you. If you would like to get involved, if you've got a little, hmm, what do you want to say? A little roll tide? Maybe a little go knolls? Perhaps it's a hook em horns? Any of that kind of stuff you want to tell us or one of our past teams that you would like to say something about? Let's say go Gators? Or perhaps it's uh, go Tigers? And that would be Clemson? or maybe even go dogs and there have been several bulldog teams that we've featured here getting you ready for the start of kickoff any of those things work just drop us an email anytime you feel like it at mail m-a-i-l mail at y-a-l-l dot com mail at y'all dot com and then you can always text us we've got a text line open 24 hours a day at 615-208-4184 one eight four. Let's go ahead and jump into the news headlines across the southeast today and something that's going to be making more headlines as we go through the week. Tropical Storm Idalia. It is expected to become a hurricane and it's moving toward Florida. Early today, the storm was 125 miles off of the western tip of Cuba with sustained winds of 65 miles per hour. So there are hurricane advisories already in Cuba and forecasters are expecting the idea to become a hurricane Tuesday while it's out in the Gulf of Mexico and they predict that it will curve northeast toward the west coast of Florida 
as it could hit the west coast of Florida Wednesday with up to 100 mile per hour winds, making it a Category 2 hurricane. Already along Florida, there are fears of destructive flooding as well as the surge of the Gulf up to 11 feet of ocean water could surge upon the shore. Governor Ron DeSantis cut short his campaign as he was in South Carolina over the weekend as he headed back to Florida. And at a Sunday afternoon briefing, the governor of Florida noted much uncertainty remains for Idalia, the latest named storm that is evidently going to affect Florida at some point. Now, Florida, again, just getting over the terrible storm that hit last year around the St. Petersburg area. That area looks like it could end up being in the path of this storm right now, Idalia. So far, the east coast of the United States has so far been spared from hurricanes in 2023. But Hillary just came aboard the west coast. That would be the storm that went across California and Nevada in the last week and a half. So when we're talking East Coast, that includes the Atlantic and Gulf. And unfortunately, it looks like we're going to have our first real test with this tropical storm expected to become a hurricane Tuesday. Idalia, that's spelled I-D-A-L-I-A. Tropical storm Idalia will keep you up to date all week long on this storm's movement. To another story and another reason that the governor of Florida cut short his campaigning in South Carolina Tuesday is he had to get back to his native Florida, not only because of the storm that was brewing in the Gulf, but there was a terrible shooting that happened in Jacksonville on Saturday. Three people killed in a Dollar General in Jacksonville. And according to law enforcement officials, the shooter targeted black people three of them three black citizens of jacksonville killed including one man in his 50s i think and the other two were around 20 years old a 21 year old targeted black residents of this black neighborhood of jacksonville that according to the jacksonville county sheriff tk waters The gunman used an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and a Glock handgun to kill his victims. According to the sheriff, both weapons were bought legally earlier this year despite his involuntary commitment for a 72-hour mental health examination back in 2017. The gunman shot 52-year-old Angela Michelle Carr as she sat in her car at this Dollar General in Jacksonville. And then he chased 19-year-old A.J. Laguerre through the Dollar General store before shooting him. And then a third victim, Gerald Gallion, killed as he entered this Dollar General store. He was 29 years old. The shooter then killed himself. Another episode of violence in our country, in our region. And here is a what looks like obvious example of racial 
hate on display. Now, they're coming out saying they're going to prosecute this case as a hate crime. The guy is dead. The shooter is dead. What is there a hate crime for when the shooter's dead? What more do you need? The guy, I think, had a manifesto about why he was going to do what he did. And I think they're just trying to make this a more of a racial issue than it really already is. I'm sorry the guy killed. I'm sorry he had a pathetic excuse to kill. But this whole hate crime thing is silly. He murdered people, innocent people. And there's no hate when the guy's dead. What are you going to go for? I mean, you're going to try to arrest him? He's dead. Of course, he should be, if anything else, he should be tried for murder. And he's dead. I repeat, I repeat, I repeat. But this is a big story now. And every time I cut on the news, this is getting a lot of attention. Again, an awful story. Absolutely awful, inexcusable to kill innocent people, no matter what the reason. If this guy is using race as the reason, that's an unbelievably pathetic excuse. Completely not necessary. But are any reasons to kill justified, frankly? No. Absolutely not. And that again happened. That killing happened on a day that in Washington, D.C., they were honoring the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington, which that actual date of that is today. Now to southwest Louisiana. There is a wildfire that's going on in that portion of the Pelican State. And Governor John Bell Edwards was in the Beauregard Parish area over the weekend surveying damage from the, a fire that's burning. There's been evacuations in Maryville, Louisiana, and more. Firefighters are making progress containing the fire, but it has scorched thousands of acres. And our biggest wildfire outbreak that we've seen in the South in quite some time. But according to authorities, the Beauregard Parish fire is only 50% contained. Luckily, so far, no lives have been lost in this section of Louisiana. We'll keep you updated when this thing, hopefully, is completely doused. Soon, we hope. A sad story from our nation's military. Eight Marines remain in a hospital in the Australian north coast city of Darwin after they were injured in a crash of a till rotor aircraft that killed three Marines. They were flying south to Darwin with hours of the Marine V-22 Osprey when it crashed Sunday. And again, three Marines killed in this Australian crash. I don't have names at this point, but these helicopters of the Marines, they load up dozens of them on these Ospreys, that hybrid aircraft that takes off and lands like a helicopter, but during flight can tilt its propellers and cruise faster, kind of like an airplane. And this Osprey of the Marines crashed into a tropical forest and burst into flames. And there was 
another crash years ago, back in 2012, that killed 16 Marines. So this seems to be a recurring problem within our military. U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has paid tribute to the three fallen Marines. As he tweeted over the weekend, these Marines served our country with courage and pride, and my thoughts and prayers are with their families today, with the other troops who were injured in the crash, and with the entire USMC family. Again, we'll let you know about any southern connections on the Marines killed here, three of them killed in Australia and many others wounded during drills down under. A judge today is expected to hear arguments on Mark Meadows' request, the former chief of staff for President Trump. Judge expected to hear arguments on Meadows' request to move his Georgia election case to federal court. That's going to get going here on this Monday. And if that indeed is a decision the judge makes, this could move this whole issue out of Georgia state court into federal court as this Fannie Willis-directed effort in Fulton County is accusing Meadows and the other 18, including former President Trump, of participating in a legal scheme to overturn the 2020 election. And, and if Meadows' legal fight proves to be a worthy fight, this judge can move this whole deal to federal court. Meadows was charged earlier this month along with President Trump on trying to affect the 2020 election in the state of Georgia as Fannie Willis used Georgia's racketeering law to bring the case and it alleges that there was a wide range conspiracy to illegally try to keep the Republican incumbent president in power in by having Georgia the election there go toward Trump instead of Joe Biden. Lawyers for Meadows argued that his actions that gave rise to the charges in the indictment, quote, all occurred during his tenure and as part of his service as a chief of staff. I think they've got a legitimate case to make here. I really do. Because Meadows was a federal worker, Trump was federal, and it just seems to me this thing's going to get some steam and wow what a what a shock that would be if this thing gets moved to federal court just because it ruins Fannie Willis's five seconds of fame now she'll get credit for bringing it out but there's legitimate in my opinion legitimate concerns that Meadows has trying to move this to federal court and I think they're going to be successful if I had to put a put a bet down on it. <laughs> I think they would be successful. We've got more news headlines coming up throughout this opening hour of the Y'all Show, and we will get to that, including today, that record alligator that has just been caught in Mississippi. Look out, you Mississippi Gators. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we've got a look at some Southern sports news, including a recap of this weekend's college football games there were about 10 of them that went down and i'll give you the final scores all that on the show that shakes the southland
You make me feel so good How do we stay so long together When everybody, everybody said we never would And just when I, I start to think they're right The love has died There you go, making my heart beat again Heart beat again, heart beat again There you go, making me feel Won't you do it and do it one time There you go pulling me right back in Right back in, right back in And I know I'm never letting this go I'm stuck on you Oh, we're all stuck like glue You and me, baby, we're stuck like glue Oh, we're all stuck like glue You and me, baby, we're stuck like glue Oh, yeah, we are. Welcome back to the Y'all Show as we get you through this Monday edition. Glad to have you join our little show about the South. And the South was on display over the weekend at East Lake. That's the country club just east of downtown Atlanta. That was the site of this year's tour championship where actually it's held every year at the golf course that Bobby Jones once teed it up on when he was one of the greatest faces, if not the greatest face and image of golf ever the founder of augusta national of course and at his club there east lake over the weekend they held the conclusion of the pga tour for 2022 and 23 as the tour championship went down and congratulations to former oklahoma state golfer victor hovland as he won the tour championship in commanding form on sunday as he was able to best Xander Shoffley by five strokes. Hovland carted a seven under 63 in the final round and won in a big way. Finishing 27 under. My gosh, was he on fire, even though the (laughs) temperature outside was on fire most of the weekend as well. But this guy out of Norway, who played again collegiately for the Cowboys, could not be beat. He won that Chicago event the week before. And on Sunday, Victor Hovland with a humongous win. The 24-year-old has earned $21 million over just the last two weeks. Not a bad payday, eh? Now, we actually have the winnings. And those who ended up finishing as Xander Shoffley, the Californian, finished second in the Tour Championship there at East Lake. Here are the winnings. Hovland, with his first place finish Sunday, picked up an $18 million check. Number two guy, Shoffley, $6.5 million. Wyndham Clark picked up a $5 million check for finishing third. Rory McIlroy, who won last year's Tour Championship, a $4 million payday Sunday. Patrick Cantlay got three mil for his fifth place finish at the tour championship and then maybe some other notable people ricky fowler finished 16th he got a 600 and uh, rather seven hundred and ten thousand dollar check john rom who had been the world number one entering the fedex playoffs the spaniard tied with Clemson alum Lucas Glover, who won that FedEx St. Jude Championship two weeks back. Rahm and Glover 
finished tied for 18th. They each got a $670,000 check for that. And then Emiliano Grello and Taylor Moore were there at the end, finishing 29th, 30th. They got just over $500,000 paychecks for being last in this competition that only had the top 30 golfers make it to the last event of the PGA Tour, the Tour Championship. But Victor Hovland with a huge win on Sunday at Eastlake. College football returned over the weekend, and we've got some final scores. First of all, congratulations to the Vanderbilt Commodores. They survived the bad weather of Nashville, and they also survived the Rainbow Warriors. As last year in Oahu, the Commodores went all the way out there and dominated Hawaii. This year, a bit close, but a victory nonetheless for Clark Lee's doors. 35-28, Vanderbilt picks up its win on Saturday evening in Nashville, and it was the first SEC game played for any SEC team here in 2023. So the doors with a victory to get things going. Elsewhere across college football, Louisiana Tech got a close win over the Panthers of FIU on Saturday night in Ruston, 22-17. The Dogs come out on top in a CUSA battle. San Diego State got past the Bobcats of Ohio, 20-13. Congratulations to the Minutemen of UMass. They won for, I think, like the first time in 23 tries on the road, and they got the 41-30 victory in Las Cruces against New Mexico State over the weekend. The Jacksonville State Gamecocks, they're at Burgess Snowfield in Jacksonville, Alabama. Their first game as an FBS member goes down as a dub as the Gamecocks of JSU picked up a CUSA victory over the Miners of UTEP, 17-14. Way to go, Rick and Bubba University. Also, Notre Dame easily knocked off Navy, 42-3. That was a game played in Dublin and technically the first game of the 2023 college football year. Irish ranked 13 in the opening poll of the AP. A 39-point victory over the Middies in their longtime rivalry that they have. USC allowed the San Jose Spartans to have 28 points. Now, Lincoln Riley's troops decided to double that number themselves 56-28 Southern Cal with the 56-28 victory over San Jose State from the Coliseum over the weekend those were the FBS scores from this opening weekend week zero of college football then now let's go to the FCS and we had two matchups in the south that I want to tell you about first off from the home of the Georgia State Panthers over the weekend, it was an FCS contest there. The Cricket Miak Swack Challenge kickoff and the Jackson State Tigers. Hey, congratulations to this team. Moving on from Deion Sanders with the new coaching staff there in Jackson. The Tigers with a commanding 37-7 victory over the Orangeburg, South Carolina-based SC State Bulldogs in that Miak Swack Challenge. Jay State with a big 30-point win over the weekend. And then in Montgomery over the weekend, they had the FCS kickoff game, and that was a scorcher there. Temperatures on the field there at the Crampton Bowl, I believe is the name of that stadium, 
well over 110 degrees when this game was played between the Mercer Bears of the SoCon and North Alabama, the Lions. And the SoCon's Mercer Bears picked up the 17-7 victory over UNA. Congratulations, Mercer. Mercer's reward for that Week 0 win is a Week 1 contest. They'll be in the Grove this weekend taking on the University of Mississippi Lane Kiffins. And that, again, is Mercer's contest Saturday. I think that is a 2 o'clock Eastern, 1 o'clock kick from the Grove. North Alabama is going to be home. They're playing the Chattanooga Mocs on this Saturday night in Florence, Alabama. North Alabama in the conference now known as UAC. Not exactly sure what the acronym stand for, but that was a conglomeration, of, I think, of a couple of teams that were left without other. They had so many people to depart, they had to piece together some kind of schedule. And that's what North Alabama's got this year. Some of the other members of that conference, I think, include Utah Tech, which used to be Dixie State, Abilene Christian. Not exactly close by to Florence, Alabama. But the Lions, a tough loss in their state capital of Montgomery in that contest against Mercer over the weekend. And one last sports update to give you. The Houston Texans have named a starting quarterback. Congratulations to the former QB of the Ohio State Buckeyes. C.J. Stroud named the Texans' week one starter when they get ready to take on the Baltimore Ravens. The Texans in their finale against the Saints Sunday picked up a 17-13 victory, and that was good enough for D'Amico Ryans, the coach of the Texans, to give the reins of the program to Stroud. So you've got Stroud QBing the Texans. You got hmm I'm trying to think of who oh the the Colts uh, Anthony Richardson. He's been named starter of the Colts. And then the Carolina Panthers with the number 1 pick in the 2023 NFL draft. They have already named their starting QB, and it's not going to be Matt Corral, as they have gone the route of Bryce Young, the 2023 starting QB. And the Panthers have Andy Dalton also on that roster. Something tells me, I just saw where the Bears have gotten rid of their number two and number three QBs. Something tells me if it hasn't already happened, there's going to be a call made to somebody in Charlotte from Chicago, and one of those backups for the Panthers are going to likely be with the Bears as their backup QB. That's just my guess. Either one of those guys, I'm sure, would do great in the Windy City. Dalton with a lot of experience in his many years in the league. But again, the Texans, the story, making headlines as they were going to go Stroud starting QB for that NFL franchise in H-Town. And that is a look at some of the Southern sports happenings here in our opening hour of the Y'all Show. When we come back, we're going to wrap this opening hour of the Y'all Show up with hashtag Hullabaloo, a quick look at some fun off of X. And we'll have that when we come right back.
was watching me, watching her. I was singing about an old flame burning. She was hanging on to every word. I was pouring out my feelings. She was pouring out the wine through the smoke and the beer. It was perfectly clear that we were touching each other's minds. It was love ten feet away. Imagine her in my arms with that look on her face, lying somewhere in some shadowy place. Oh, the voice of Keith Whitley bringing us back from break here. We're back on Y'all Talk with an Accent on All Things Southern. And in this segment of our Monday show, we like to go on social media and find people talking about things that are about the South. And Sean K. The King has an X account at SK The King YT. This guy, Sean, the king, I should point out, is quite a YouTuber. And he's got a following of over 240,000. That's right. He's got over 240,000 followers on X. And he's a big YouTuber. Sean K. The King. Check it out. And Sean K. this week has put out something that caught our producer's attention here at the Y'all Show. It's a picture of some good-looking southern food. It's a picture that's got... A whole host of macaroni and cheese, some delicious southern fried chicken tenders, three biscuits lined up in the box, and then a nice collection of bacon cheese fries. Yummy, Sean K. the King. And Sean K. the King has a question for his large audience, and that is, smash or trash? Who the heck's going to trash what I just told you is in that picture. Macaroni and cheese, chicken tenders, biscuits, and then not only are they french fries, they're doused in bacon and cheese, melted cheese. Mmm. So he's asking his audience of over 240,000, should I smash this or should I trash it? Well, one person, D Valley 17 really is a rebel because everybody else was saying absolutely smash it man go for it delicious perfect D Valley has something else to say as D Valley has responded back to Sean K the King with the following instead of smash or patch smash or trash D Valley says no nah, man pass cheese fries with macaroni no thank you give me a baked potato with some bone seasoned wings green beans and some biscuits with honey on the side I need order on my tray not constipation <laughs> okay thank you D Valley but uh, some good chicken and biscuits talk to get our Monday show going I do have to tell you after stopping by one of our famous chicken joints the other day a place that I don't often go inside when I order. It's more of a drive-through type deal. 
this particular chicken joint that's got a southern state as part of its name they have those boxes that you can order and I've not done this since probably childhood when I didn't pay for it somebody else paid for it but goodness gracious what a perfect little reward I deserve and we all deserve sometime by just loading up with one of those big old bucket meals and getting stuff that we don't need but you know maybe we do need it and I love the fact that you can get those bucket meals and they load you up with biscuits and fixings. Oh, that good southern chicken. Love it, love it, love it. What an awesome place that we get to cover each and every day here on the Y'all Show. Let's pick up another XR2 before we wrap up this opening hour. Let's go to Air Female at Air Female 14 who identifies on X as a northern girl and is involved in law enforcement. And she has put a simple graphic up on her X account that says southerners with the attachment of this following graphic called there are just three words every southerner wants to hear. Okay? The graphic says again there are just three words every southerner wants to hear and what do you think it says it does it say i love you is that something every southerner wants to hear not according to this post from air female because this graphic has i love you scratched out according to this graphic the three words that every southerner wants to hear it ain't i love you the three words every southerner wants to hear low humidity today (laughs) and I'm not sure if your section of Dixie's got low humidity today but if it does then you ought to be having a dang good day thank you air female for that right there and that wraps up our fun that we call hashtag hullabaloo for this opening hour a lot of commentary about the heat we'll have to get some of these other hashtag hullabaloo postings on a upcoming edition of the y'all show because there's some fun stuff here that we'll be happy to pass along just simply don't have the time here because we've got to move on to hour two stand by because we've got news from across the southeast plus in hour two we're going to be telling you all about the texas longhorns of coach steve sarkeesian they're getting ready to start their 2023 season the last year they'll be a member of the big 12 and we're going to go to the 40 acres in austin and tell you all about the burnt orange bovines of UT Austin. All that is coming up right here as the Y'all Show moves on to Hour 2. Won't you stick around for the fun and, and hook them horns too?
we're back here for another hour of our show that shakes up the Southland. We are y'all, John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. Glad to have you back in with our little program powered by y'all.com, the South's homepage. You can email us anytime here at y'all, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com. And I promise you, we'll read your te- your email, rather. We'll read it and we'll, unless it's X-rated, <laughs> we'll relay whatever the world's on your mind right here on the show about the South. We also have a text line open right now if you'd rather reach us that way. You can text us anytime at 615-208-4184. 615-208-4184. Those are ways to get in touch with us here at the Y'all Show. Now, I got carried away at the end of hour one and let me make a little bit of a course correction. This hour on the Y'all Show We're not going to be talking about the Texas Longhorns. We're going to have to push that back to our final hour. This hour of the Y'all Show, we've got our news headlines. Then we've got our Southern History Spotlight. Today marks the anniversary of the death of Emmett Till, a civil rights icon of the 1950s. Also, this date marks the 1960s March on Washington date. So something tells me there's going to be a push to make August 28th another national holiday. You got two major civil rights things that happen on this date in history. Why not? Let's just load up the calendar with civil rights national holidays. This is really more of a more fitting day than Juneteenth. If you look at the history of its impact of Till being killed and the March on Washington, I would say the most important day in Martin Luther King's life because it made him a superstar. If he if he wasn't already, that Washington march and then the famous quote, of course, I have a dream, the speech, made him immortal. And that happened on this day, August 28th. We'll have all that information coming up in our Southern History Spotlight in a few minutes. Plus, we've got a couple of Southerners with famous birthdays, famous Southerners with birthdays today, and I'll tell you who all they are and before the hour is up we're going to let you know a great broccoli salad recipe it's part of our southern recipe of the day all that is coming up here in hour number two then in hour three megan headwall will be joining us and we're going to be talking about stress and more and we've got that texas longhorn spotlight coming up in hour three i got a little head of myself in hour one and told you that we're going to be talking about the hookums this hour. No, 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 no. It's going to be next hour. You're just going to have to wait. And I'm sure if you're a Texas hater, you're sitting here saying, John, don't talk about those horns ever. I have to, y'all. It's my service. And Aggie fans, I've already talked about your Aggies a few days back, okay? I think you're going to be happy with your 23 football season. Longhorn fans, I don't know about you. <laughs> Jury's out. But I'll tell you, if you're going to have a great season or not, I'm going to have to tell you because that's part of my duty as host of the Y'all Show. And I'll get to that, but not until the final hour of our program today. Let's dive into the news headlines for this Monday. And the story today that is going to be covered throughout the week is Tropical Storm Adelia. That's spelled I-D-A-L-I-A. Adalia, Adelia. I didn't get the spelling pronunci- or the pronunciation of this from the 
the forecast center. But this storm is expected to become a hurricane on Tuesday and move toward the Gulf Coast of Florida. So people now paying a lot of attention to this. Earlier on this Monday, the storm was 125 miles off the western tip of Cuba with maximum sustained winds of 65 miles per hour. The storm was stationary early on Monday. But it is expected to become a hurricane Tuesday in the Gulf of Mexico and is expected to curve northeast toward Florida's western coast. And it could approach Florida with winds of 100 miles per hour, according to the latest forecast from the Hurricane Center. That would mean it would be a Category 2 hurricane. And across across the west coast of Florida, there could be storm surge of up to 11 feet. A lot of uncertainty about this thing, according to the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. But right now, people in Florida are going to be paying a lot more attention to this storm as it's going to be causing a problem, it appears, in the Sunshine State in the coming days. There have not, There's not been a storm that has come across the Gulf Coast and or the East Coast quite yet. Now, we had that storm last week that went across, I think Harold was the storm, or Harold or Harvey, one of the H's, I believe it was the H storm. It went across South Texas and caused some problems with rainfall there. But that was extremely far South Texas, Brownsville area, working inland toward Laredo. This storm here is going to be, it looks like a, a booger. So let's keep our eye on it going forward. News also out of the Sunshine State. A man went into a Jacksonville, Florida Dollar General store on Saturday and killed three people. Three innocent people gunned down by this man who went in with an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle and a Glock handgun. And he ended up killing 52-year-old Angela Michelle Carr while she was in a car parked outside the Dollar General. Killed her. Then he went inside and killed a 19-year-old A.J. LaGuerre as well as a 29-year-old Gerald Gallion. The shooter then killed himself at that Jacksonville Dollar General store. And it appears this killer did this as a racial retaliation. That according to the authorities of Jacksonville, Florida. Unfortunate story. Jacksonville has a million residents. A third of Jacksonville's residents are black. And this person goes in in Duval County and guns down three innocent people over the weekend. Because of the storm, because of the Jacksonville shooting, Ron DeSantis went back to Florida and stopped his campaign in South Carolina. And he went to a memorial service in Jacksonville and was booed by crowd members there in the Jacksonville area. His hometown, by the way. A U.S. Marine helicopter has crashed in Australia. Three Marines died in this crash of the Marine V-22 Osprey helicopter. There have been 
20 survivors of this crash that had been flown to a medical place in the Darwin, Australia area. But again, over the weekend, a Marine helicopter goes down in Australia. Three of the Marines, unfortunately, have lost their life. And eight Marines that were taken to the hospital are still in this city of Darwin Hospital in Australia. Good luck to those survivors and our thoughts to the family of those Marines who have fallen in this training accident. Today, a judge is going to hear arguments on behalf of Mark Meadows' request to move his election case out of Georgia to federal court. The former North Carolina congressman turned Donald Trump White House Chief of Staff charged earlier this month along with the president and 17 other people with his effort to alter the Georgia election numbers. Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis is using Georgia's racketeering law to bring the case to state court. And now lawyers for Meadows argue that his actions that gave rise to the charges all occurred during his tenure and as part of his service as White House Chief of Staff. And he's hoping to get these charges moved from state to federal court which would really be a completely different dynamic. In fact, watching some of the coverage of this over the weekend, you've got a whole different jury pool if indeed this moves out of state court into federal court. There'll be people from much redder counties, for example, in Georgia that could potentially be on a trial, on a jury as part of a trial. I still think this case... And every one of the Trump cases, even though it's hard to say it now because of all the attention they're getting, I still think there's a highly, highly likely chance that all of these cases are going to ultimately be thrown out and they'll never go to an actual trial. And all of this coverage and all of this BS that we've had to listen to and put up with is going to be completely a waste of time and money. Let's not forget, there are always significant numbers of cases that never see a a trial. It's almost like the prosecution doesn't quite have its act together, but they go ahead and proceed anyway. And sometimes the defense folds and does a plea. And that's bad maybe bad counseling from the defensive legal team. But it's common practice that cases get thrown out or something happens. In this case, if nothing else, Trump wants them to keep keep the delay going. Delay, delay, delay. Well beyond the 2024 election. And I think one, two, three, or perhaps all four and there's rumors that Arizona is also going to come forward with a similar case against Trump like Georgia has come up with that you're going to see these things get tossed like like salad. <laughs> Today marks the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington and President Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to meet with Martin Luther King Jr.'s family to mark the 60th anniversary all of King's children have been invited. 
and back on August 28, 1963 President John F. Kennedy welcomed King and other key organizers to the Oval Office for a meeting the day of that march on Washington and today the White House welcoming in the children of Martin Luther King the White House did not include the meeting on Biden's public schedule for today but it appears they are indeed planning to meet with the King family which I think I saw I didn't see the son is it Dexter King one of the children of Martin Luther King but I saw Martin Luther King's nephew I think it was interviewed over the weekend at Washington D.C. as they were out there over the weekend on Saturday specifically having a commemoration of the March on Washington and it was not a good day to be on the National Mall because it was so freaking hot as it has been everywhere in the southeast I think today it'll be much much more pleasant in the cool air conditioning of the White House unless the AC bill there has gotten so out of whack thanks to the Bidenomics, Bidenomics that he hasn't paid the AC bill for our nation's executive office surely to goodness he has done that a passage in the state of Tennessee the two term governor of the state of Tennessee back in the 1990s Don Sunquist has died the Republican passing away over the weekend where in Tennessee he was twice elected governor and he also served 12 years as a Tennessee congressman Sunquist died at Baptist East Hospital in Memphis Sunday morning surrounded by family members he had had a recent surgery and a short illness that according to a statement from the governor of Tennessee of today Bill Lee's office Governor Lee in a statement about Don Sunquist said he took great pride in bringing people together regardless of differences to work together for the common good Sunquist never lost an election in eight tries in Tennessee six efforts for Congress and then two for governor now the one thing that will go down on his bio that's not so positive that in his final years as governor he helped try to put together a state income tax in Tennessee Tennessee is one of our few southern states that does not have a state income tax and Don Sunquist was trying to get an income tax in the volunteer state and it created quite a stir in the state capital of Nashville and people like Steve Gill Nashville radio host helped lead an effort to stop it and they honked their horns and they created havoc some 20 something years ago and you know what it didn't work they did not change the laws of Tennessee and in the end Don Sunquist's effort to be the guy that brought in income tax to the volunteer state it went down in flames he ran for governor in 1994 and won becoming Tennessee's 47th governor and then he was reelected again in 1998 so he served in office from 1995 until the year 2003 
and it was I think Phil Bredesen a Democrat that came in after Sunquist and took over that office and then we've had in Tennessee Republicans since the Bredesen time period we've seen Tennessee stay as almost red as you could be other than that one time that Bredesen had two term I believe he was a two term governor too before he decided to try to run for senate too and that did not work so well for the former Nashville mayor but Don Sunquist, governor of Tennessee mostly in the mid to late 1990s has died at age 87 There are no more Confederate names on Army installations in the Commonwealth of Virginia, the state that once was the capital of the Confederate States of America. Over the weekend, a place that I went to as a Boy Scout, a place that hundreds of thousands of Boy Scouts have gone to for national jamborees throughout the last hundred years, Fort A.P. Hill is now the home and has been renamed Fort Walker. Fort Walker, named in honor of Dr. Mary E. Walker. As the United States military has made this mandate that all installations that have a Confederate tie must be erased. And so Mary Walker gets a fort named in her honor. Mary Walker was a civilian, she was not a soldier. But during the American Civil War, fought in Virginia, Walker treated wounded Union soldiers at field hospitals throughout the war, even though her application to be an official Army surgeon was denied because she was a woman. And her name now is part of a U.S. Army fort. And again, as a result of this Fort A.P. Hill changing its name, there are no more military installations in Virginia for Confederate alumni. As Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has accepted several new renaming recommendations, and one of those was the change of Fort A.P. Hill to Fort Walker. Fort Lee in Virginia is going to become Fort Greg Adams, named for two different soldiers, and Fort Pickett, named after George Pickett of Pickett's Charge fame. It's going to be named Fort Barfoot in honor of Van Barfoot who received a Medal of Honor back in 1944 for his fighting in Italy. Van Barfoot. Fort Barfoot. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? I don't think so. Now, I am a little perturbed at this Fort being renamed for a couple of reasons and one of the main reasons I'm perturbed is it specifically says in the write up that this nurse Walker who this fort's being named after only treated Union soldiers that's what it says she only treated Union soldiers and that goes against the Hippocratic Oath, does it not? If you're in the medical field and if you're in warfare, you treat your enemies. 
I think, a, first of all, I don't think they should have renamed the fort to start with. But how about this name? As a, well, the guy was a Confederate. I should, I should, what am, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? But a true hero of the American Civil War and should have had a fort named after him is someone who's actually a kinfolk of some of my kinfolk because my first cousins or my aunt was a Kirkland related to this guy, Richard Roland Kirkland. Richard Roland Kirkland was a Confederate soldier from South Carolina who was known as the Angel of Mary's Heights because during the Civil War Battle of Fredericksburg he went out and saved the lives of both Union and Confederate soldiers and gave them water and their dying breaths and more and it's one unbelievable story of bravery and sacrifice of this second lieutenant out of South Carolina Richard Kirkland the angel of Mary's Heights and you probably have never heard of his story check it out sometime there has been a sculpture of him at the Fredericksburg battlefield that's a good thing but for most people they've never heard of the angel of Mary's Heights who fought not only at this battle but would go on to fight at Gettysburg and his life came to an end in Chickamauga as he was killed there at the Battle of Chickamauga in September of 1863 he's buried in the old Quaker Cemetery in Camden, South Carolina this guy who was a native of the Camden, South Carolina area Richard Kirkland, the Angel of Mary's Heights and never had a fort named after him and he truly did help out people on both sides of the Civil War. So take that, Fort Walker. Now, let me bring you up to date on a story that happened the other day in Oklahoma that unfortunately seems to be the trend here at the start of high school football for 2023. A 16-year-old has died after a outburst of gunfire at Choctaw High School to the east of Oklahoma City over the weekend. And this 16-year-old has died after simply going to a high school football game. Gunshots fired on the visitor side of the stadium at Choctaw High in the game against Dell City. An argument between at least two men led to the shooting, according to local police, and this 16-year-old dead in Oklahoma. That's one of our southern states with a youngster losing their life at a high school football game. Another state in the south. Just, just, I'm just taking one state for an example. Alabama over the weekend, as there were gunshots in a game between Matty T. Blunt and Vigor High School, and players had to drop to the field. A gun found at a Hueytown Ramsey High School football game. That was in Jefferson County, where Birmingham is located. 
and in that game the teen with the gun was tackled by a coach and detained by police players there also drop into the field at a game in North Alabama between Hazel Green and Sparkman High School that game had to be suspended because of a major disruption I was told about a game in Mississippi that was not necessarily had gunshots but lots of arrests lots of arrests and I don't know what is going on with these young kids I mean it's not uncommon for high school students to want to go duke it out at football contests I mean there's that teenage macho thing going on for the fellows at least girls don't particularly like each other too at that same age and they're coming from rival schools in a lot of cases and the bright lights are on but they're not for you they're for the football players but you've got to have your bright light too and so this has always been an issue at high school level events anyway of kids getting out of control but bringing guns into the equation makes no sense and we've already seen at least one kid losing their life in Oklahoma and what are schools going to do they're worried about school shooters and that's a big thing to worry about but what about for athletic contests and the safety of the spectators are we going to reach a point and maybe we should seriously consider this that the attendance of high school sporting contests are going to be limited to just the, maybe the families of the players I'm okay with that I really am I mean if, if it's going to keep going on like this we don't need to have idiots coming in there ruining it for everybody else and one way to cut that out is keep that crowd very limited it worked during COVID it could work now if it will save lives and save a lot of headache and bad headlines that are going to likely keep happening because of the unfortunate volume of handguns out there that these kids are the cool people on the block by having them and they get them into a high school football stadium and then they act like idiots and pull it out start shooting yeah we got a problem and I don't think most high schools are set up to properly go out there and do something about it they don't have the resources and in our last headline of the day we take you to Mississippi where the biggest alligator ever captured in Mississippi has just been captured (laughs) are you ready for the final tally 14 feet 3 inches weighing in at 802 pounds this alligator captured in Mississippi I'm trying to find out where it was captured I guess they're keeping it secret maybe something tells me it was somewhere okay they say that they found the alligator in the Yazoo River so this was not way down in South Mississippi this would be between Vicksburg and back toward Greenwood in the Mississippi Delta 
That's where the Yazoo River flows. So we have the names of the four that caught this thing. Tanner White, Don Woods, Will Thomas, Joey Clark. They caught this thing Saturday. It would take four grown men to catch an 800-pound alligator. And the previous record was just over 14 feet, but 766 pounds the previous record. This one now, 14 feet, 3 inches, 802 pounds, a belly girth of 66 inches, according to the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. That's a whopper, as they say there on Swamp People, coming out of Mississippi on the Yazoo River. I'll have to think twice about heading upstream from Vicksburg when I'm going down the or up the Yazoo River. Oh, my goodness, y'all. Scary times in the mighty state of Mississippi. Which, by the way, I went to the post office over the weekend, and they've got a nice little collection of, of the forever stamps that are called Mighty Mississippi. It's not necessarily for the state of Mississippi, but it's about all the Mississippi River scenery. The cities like St. Louis is on there, and New Orleans, I think. Memphis is also there. But it's also got some great scenes. Tom Sawyer would be proud. So would Samuel Clemens of that new stamp that you can get at your local post office in honor of the wonderful Mississippi River. Roll on, Mississippi. (laughs) And that is a look at some of your headlines. And watch out for whether you're in the state of Mississippi or anywhere near a Mississippi River tributary. My God, 14-foot gators on the loose, 800 pounds. Yikes. Yikes, yikes. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we've got a Southern History Spotlight. We'll go through some of the things that happened on this date in history And before the hour is up, we're going to tell you all about broccoli salad. All that is ahead on the Y'all Show. Plus, we've got Megan dropping by, too. Through this Monday edition of Y'all, we've got Megan Headwall back on with us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm great. You ready for another exciting week of Y'all? I am. All right. Well, let's bring everybody up to speed on some Southern history here as we move through this first day of the week. And it was on this date in history that the Tom Thumb got up and thumbing. 
Megan, as Tom Thumb was the first American-built steam locomotive, and it operated on a common carrier railroad, and it worked between Baltimore and another southern city. It was on the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad, but back in the main track of Wheeling, Virginia, which is now West Virginia, this train got up and going in history on this date. The Tom Thumb. You ever been to a Tom Thumb convenience store? I have not. Have you ever seen one? No, I haven't even heard of them. I've heard of them. I don't think I've seen one. I don't think there are that many in the South. I don't think. (laughs) But that's a story for another day. But it was the Tom Thumb train that started up here on this date in history. It was also on this date in history that Emmett Till was officially pronounced dead as he went missing back in 1955 after he whistled at a woman there in the Mississippi Delta town of Money and his body was found in the river I think it was the Tallahatchie River there they found his body and his mother instead of putting him away and taking him back to Chicago where he would just be another drowning victim of questionable circumstances she decided to have that body put out on display after it had been in that summer river floating. Just a grisly, awful scene. And pictures were taken of the body of Emmett Till. And back in 1955, that really set off the civil rights movement in a way that we had not seen it before, Hmm. when this 14-year-old boy was killed. And then there were people accused of killing him that went before an all-white jury that found the two guys not guilty. And those guys never were found guilty. And this was a story that um, has been a part of America's story for a long time. And just this past year, this past couple of months, actually, the lady that Emmett Till whistled at, she just died. She died, I think, in... uh, I think it was Louisiana's where she was living. Maybe there, Kentucky. One of those two states. But she was not living in Mississippi anymore. But... It was on this date in history that the body of Emmett Till found and pronounced dead. This week in history is also the March on Washington, the famous march that had hundreds of thousands of people there at the Lincoln Memorial, August 28, 1963. Martin Luther King was there, of course, with his I Have a Dream speech. The technical name of this march was the March on Washington, for jobs and freedoms for jobs and freedom and it was shortened to just being now known as the march on washington but it was a big deal that got its start this march started outside of washington and they had a lot of church groups get involved and started a crusade to get to washington dc for this big event and at the event you had Many of the civil rights figures of that time period, people like John Lewis, the Georgia congressman. You also had, I just saw over the weekend, Andrew Young was back in Washington, D.C. Andrew's in his early 90s now. He was there in 1963 for this humongous event there, pushing for a bunch of goals, passage of the civil rights legislation. Also, they were pushing for a $2 an hour minimum wage nationwide, which that would be equivalent to $19 in today's world. 
Bernie Sanders would be happy. He's got to love inflation. Yeah. <laughs> and there were other things. So this was not just a black-white struggle here. This was a push for, for again, jobs and freedom. The March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom 60 years ago today. And today, the children of Martin Luther King Jr. are going to be meeting with President Biden and Kamala Harris at the White House. Today in history, we honor the birth of Elizabeth Ann Seton, a Catholic religious sister in the U.S., an educator, and known as the founder of the United States' parochial school system. And after Elizabeth Seton passed away, she became the first person born in what would become the United States to be canonized by the Catholic Church back in 1975. Elizabeth Seton canonized by I guess the Pope is who does that Elizabeth Ann Seton also established the first Catholic girls school in the country in Emmitsburg Maryland and she also founded the first American congregation of religious sisters the Sisters of Charity this lady born in New York City 1774 she died in Emmitsburg in Maryland at age 46 in 1821. Again, Elizabeth Ann Seton, the first American, not just male or female, but the first American period to be canonized by the Catholic Church. Do you know what canonized is? Because I don't really know. I don't, but we can research Canonized is the declaration of a deceased person as an officially recognized saint, specifically the official act of a Christian communion declaring a person worthy of public veneration and entering their name in the canon catalog of saints. So if you couldn't get it done in real life, when you die, you can be canonized in the Catholic Church. So I'm going to write your name down. We're up for sainthood. Yeah, but you got to <laughs> die first. How does that sound? Okay. Let me, let me kill you. Cause I, I'd, I'd like to be known as a saint. And not just with the New Orleans Saints. I'd like to be a saint. So go ahead and kill me so I can be canonized. 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 <laughs> Lou Pinella's birthday is today. Lou Pinella is a longtime guy from baseball as he played as a Baltimore Oriole in the 1960s. Had many years with the Royals and Yankees. Played for them all the way to 1984. Then he became a manager first with the Yankees. Two different stints with the Yanks, 1986 and 87. Then rehired in 1988 he was the Cincinnati Reds skipper and as the Red skipper he led them to the World Series title back in 1990 he also won World Series as a player for the New York Yankees so a three time World Series champion Lou Pinella and a long time Major League Baseball fixture Sweet Lou his nickname born in Tampa Florida August 28, 1943. Happy 80th birthday today to Lou Pinella. I don't know what he's doing now. Okay, what does a guy from Tampa, Florida do when he retires? Probably goes most to people the go beach. To, most people go to Florida when they retire. Yeah. Does he go to Pigeon Forge? <laughs> you reckon that's where he's living? Another guy from baseball world with a birthday today, Ron Guidry. Louisiana Lightning. Born in Lafayette, Louisiana on this day in 1950, Ron Guidry played for the Yankees. He was a teammate 
of Lou Pinella. He played with the Yankees from 1975 to 1988, a four-time All-Star and a two-time World Series champion, and maybe even more important, a five-time Gold Glove Award winner as a New York Yankee. He also won the Cy Young Award in 1978. This guy, a Louisiana kid, done good there. He actually played college ball for the Louisiana Lafayette, then known as the USL, University of Southwestern Louisiana, Raging Cajuns. Played for them in 1969 and 70 before moving on to the pros of baseball. In 2003, the New York Yankees retired Ron Guidry's uniform number of 49 and dedicated the plaque to him in Monument Park there at Yankee Stadium. One of the Yankees' greats. Ron Guidry, happy birthday today. We also have birthdays today from two Southern ladies who were known for their singing skills and acting, I think, too. How how about today, the birthday of Margaret Siberian? You know who that is? No. Margaret Leanne Rimes Siberian. Ah, okay. Leanne Rimes' birthday today. She was born in Jackson, Mississippi, back in 1982. She's 41 years young today. Blue. She grew up a lot of her life in Garland, Texas, but was born in Jackson and lived in the Pearl community for a while. The child of Wilbur and Belinda. And Leanne Rhymes now 41 years young. That's pretty scary. <laughs> Especially when I saw her in 1995, walking around at 13 years old, being interviewed by CBS when she first came out with that big song, Blue. <laughs> okay, maybe it was 96 when I saw her, but she was a... She was less than 15 years old when I saw her. And now she's 41, and she's got a couple of chillins. And doing as far as I know, she's doing fine. She's had some health challenges, but she's doing pretty darn good. Lee Ann Rhymes. Happy birthday. Also, have you heard of this lady? Because I have not. I love her last name. I love her first name. I've never heard of both of these together. Lexi Underwood. No, I haven't. Lexi Underwood, an actress and singer known for her role as Pearl Warren in Little Fires Everywhere. She also played the role of Athena in Will vs. the Future. And she's been a singer, too. She's a Maryland native. And she turns 20 today, Lexi Underwood, Hmm. with a birthday. She was in movies like The Good Doctor. She's been in the movie The First Lady where she played the role of Malia Obama. <laughs> so they've had a Showtime series about the Obamas, I guess. Oh, wasn't aware. Yeah. How about that? Must see TV for you. <laughs> she was in Criminal Minds. And then as far as movies, she's been in a movie called Girl Minus and Dirt and a couple of others. And then, as I said, she's a singer as well. Lexi Underwood, a birthday today. Happy, happy birthday to you. When we come back here on the Y'all Show, we've got a quick recipe to pass along. How about some broccoli salad? Are you a fan of that? Yeah, it's okay, but yeah. we'll find out. It's a perfect picnic slash tailgating thing you could take, assuming you got a cooler nearby. We're going to wrap up the hour with that recipe, courtesy of the Mississippi Food Network, when the Y'all Show Monday edition continues.
Dana Carvey. Jeez, Back in the 1980s on SNL, a song called Chopping Broccoli. I was waiting for the good part there. Chopping Broccoli. broccoli. See, you can make a song about anything. And Broccoli's on our mind as we wrap up this uh, second hour. Our first with Megan. Megan's going to be with us in hour three today. Broccoli Salad. Thanks to the Mississippi Food Network, which is a great little website that helps people in the Magnolia State feeding Mississippians since 1984. Go to their website, msfoodnet.org. But they've got a recipe up for broccoli salad. And you can go there and learn how you can take that head of broccoli, cut it into small pieces, mix in some bacon, and add shredded cheddar cheese. And with a small onion mixed in for good measure, you can have this thing out there for the tailgate or perhaps your upcoming church event. Maybe you got a church picnic yourself, Megan. Yeah. You got one of those planned? Nope, not at this time. Well, you'll get the phone calls coming in now. People will want to invite you to their next church gathering. But it is a great, delicious little thing. I don't know anybody that would only eat broccoli salad, but when you have it there at like a church event or, like I said, even at tailgates, they're just a, a great southern thing to have. And you can go to this website, msfood.net, and get the full recipe Yum E, part of the South. Our our love of broccoli, eleven chopping broccoli. Love Dana Carvey. We got hour three headed your way. Included in that is talk about the Texas Longhorns. with Megan Hedwall. I am John Raw. We're back for our final hour on this Monday show all about the South. We are the Y'all Show. We'd love to hear from you if you've got something you want to pass along across the Southeast today. Our email address, M-A-I-L mail at Y-A-L-L dot com. Megan and I are going to be talking about stress and more in the upcoming segment before the hour is up. 
We'll be telling you all about the 2023 edition of the Texas Longhorns as Steve Sarkeesian's got a program on the rise on the 40 acres in Austin. And we'll let you know about the horns and so much more as they get ready to wrap up Big 12 play this year and move over to the Southeastern Conference. Horns talk coming up later in our third hour. We start off this hour of y'all with the news headlines of the day. And lordy, lordy, Megan... Looks like we're going to have our first hurricane of the season hit the southeast this week as it appears that Hurricane Adalia is heading toward the Gulf Coast of Florida. Not what those people want to hear as this thing right now, roughly 100 miles off of the Cuban coast, and it is churning out there with wind speeds earlier today of about 60 miles per hour. And it is expected to become a hurricane Tuesday. It is expected to hit, according to the latest projections, going to hit the west coast of Florida Wednesday. Is this thing expected out of Cuba to make a northeastern turn? And therefore, it would be coming across Florida's western coast as a Category 2 hurricane with potential of 11 feet of ocean water surging on the shore. Wow. Not what people there want to hear especially after they just got past a devastating storm in 2022 on that same west coast of florida so we'll keep our eye on the tropics here this week also news out of florida over the weekend a shooter went into a dollar general there in jacksonville and fatally shot 52 year old angela michelle carr 19 year old aj laguerre as well as 29 year old gerald gallion all three victims black. This guy supposedly was on a mission to kill black people. White guy, he also killed himself at the scene. So three people killed by this gunman who went in with an AR-15 and a pistol as well. And in Jacksonville, Florida, these people killed in a mass shooting over the weekend. Our thoughts to that Duval County community. There's a wildfire underway in southwest Louisiana in Beauregard Parish and Louisiana State Wildlife and Forestry experts working to douse this thing. The governor of Louisiana, John Bell Edwards, was in Beauregard Parish over the weekend surveying damage from this Tiger Island fire. The largest wildfire currently burning in the state has forced the evacuation of the town of Maryville in Louisiana. It's a big fire. Wish them well trying to contain that in the Pelican State. Elsewhere in our headlines across the southeast today, today Mark Meadows is trying to get a judge to move his case that Fannie Willis brought him and 18 others, including Donald Trump, over this 2020 election interference, if you will, from Georgia's standpoint. Today, Mark Meadows, the former White House Chief of Staff, is trying to get the case, at least for him, his sake, trying to get it moved to federal court rather than state court as he says that his role as the White House Chief of Staff he was in the office working with President Trump he was a federal employee at that time this whole issue that Fannie Willis bringing forward on a Georgia racketeering law does not apply if there's going to be anything it should be in a federal court what do you think Megan? I don't have an opinion at this point come on I need an opinion <laughs> No opinion is wrong on this show. 
I give my opinion plenty of times. <laughs> I think they're going to be successful. I think they're going to be able. To, I, I think I think they're going to have to move. They're going to have to move it to a federal court. Yeah, I, I really do. Don't ask me why though. Just got a feeling. I don't have to give you the facts. I just need to give you the opinion. <laughs> also, in our headlines across the southeast today, the late governor of Tennessee, former governor, has died at the age of eighty-seven over the weekend. Don Sunquist died in Memphis. He was 87. He served as a two-term governor of the Volunteer State back in the mid-1990s. His final year in office was in the year 2003. He was also a six-time congressman from West Tennessee, Don Sunquist. He was elected first in Congress in 1982 and then in 1994 elected governor of the Volunteer State as Tennessee's 47th chief executive. He won re-election in 1998 Don Sunquist who I think if my memory serves me for correct what part of Tennessee do you think he was raised in Megan I have no clue I'm going to really pull back my 1990s knowledge for you here All right. Don Sunquist was raised and this is why it strikes me this guy who represented the best of Tennessee Mm-hmm. was from Moline, Illinois. Wow. He was a Yankee. A Yankee became a, a Yankee. Southern governor. Yeah, He <laughs> actually went to Moline High School and attended Augustana College in Illinois, getting a B.A. in business in 1957. Hmm. And then ultimately got transferred to Shebbeville in Middle Tennessee. And then he ended up moving to Memphis in 1972 where he went there and established an advertising and printing firm, Graphic Sales of America. Good old GSA. All that from Illinois, raised, but Tennessee governor, ultimately Don Sunquist, who we lost over the weekend at age 82. I thought he was from up north, but it's been a few years since I studied his bio. Uh-huh. Don Sunquist, we lost him over the weekend. Elsewhere in our headlines across the southeast today, we've had some high school football shootings. Have you heard about any in your neighborhood? Have you heard about any kind of violence? Not in my neighborhood. Well, over the weekend in Oklahoma, a 16-year-old at a high school football game has been killed in Choctaw, Oklahoma. Died after a shooting at this high school football game. Several shootings in Alabama over the weekend. Lots of arrests in multiple states. These kids are running around with guns. We know that. And then they all have to try to show off anyway, even without a football game happening. Then you got the element of a football game on a Friday night when they're trying to impress people. Then you mix in that they're often from rival schools. Yeah, you're going to have the makings for a real problem. And we've got shootings and arrest and more. Sounds like kids didn't get enough butt whoopings growing up. That might have helped. Well, they're still growing up at age 16 and 15. Whoop their butts. Whoop, whoop them. Or they'll end up in jail. Yeah, well, we don't want... I mean, if you see, the, this happened multiple times over the weekend. Gunfire erupts during the middle of a football game, and the kids on the field, the players literally just start yeah. jumping on the ground. I've seen the videos. That was at that one school, but it happened in Alabama, too. Yeah. Multiple games affected by complete stupidity. Mm-hmm. And congratulations to a couple of guys in the Mississippi Delta. Tanner White, Don Woods, Will Thomas, and Joey Clark, they hauled in 
while out on the Yazoo River over the weekend, they hauled in the new state record for an alligator caught in Mississippi. 14 feet, 3 inches, 802 pounds. A girth of 66 inches, the largest gator ever taken in Mississippi. So, yeah, they got that growing big down in Mississippi. Apparently. Yeah, that one's been eating a little bit too much at the buffet, it sounds like there <laughs> in Mississippi. That's our headlines for this opening hour of the, well, the final hour of this opening day of the week here the Monday edition of the Y'all Show. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back when Megan and I join us. When she joins me after the break, we're going to talk about stress. And I got the, a heck of a stress reliever that I'm going to share myself. All right. And all, But you don't know what it is. No. And we'll have all that conversation right after this. Sunshine and summertime. Unfortunately, that summertime is going to be wrapping up pretty soon. In fact, I noticed last evening, Megan, that the sun was down around 8 o'clock last night. I know. And, and just a couple of weeks ago, it was like 9 o'clock. I and know. What's happening? I'm ready for that cooler weather. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, it's a little cooler in most of the south this week compared to what it was last week. Got a text in I want to catch real quick as we were talking in our headlines in the previous hour about an unfortunate crash of an Osprey helicopter the United States Marine Corps has and three Marines went uh, sadly died in that crash and about eight are still hospitalized in Australia and a texter has texted us in here to y'all show to let us know that texter says I believe that the V-22 Osprey is not a helicopter but is classified as a VTOL vertical takeoff and landing it has a tilt rotor tilt rotor in horizontal position lifts and rotates to vertical position for normal flight so it kind of flies like an airplane if you ever go down to the destin area Mm -hmm. they have a lot of military installations along the gulf coast and they oftentimes are out there with those ospreys practicing training there in this case they were training in australia one crashed and again three marines already announced died in that crash over the weekend but texter we appreciate you sending that is sending that in to us and love to be corrected if we're misspeaking here on the y'all show we want to definitely do that i don't want to misspeak about stress i know nothing about stress so here in this segment megan headwall is coming on to help all of y'all out there who have stress issues <laughs> i don't know about that we'll try we all experience stress at some point we do yeah no i have a lot of stress yeah mainly by you 
well, women tend to do that. Yes. Um, <laughs> careful. <laughs> but I had a college professor um, of psych, and he would always say, there's no such thing as stress. Stress isn't real. And that used to irritate me. I'm like, do you know how hard I've been studying for these exams? I'm stressed out. And But his point was, we all have this narrative that we have to that we tell ourselves that we have to get stuff done. We are putting the pressure on ourselves or allowing other people to do it. But I still disagree. I think stress is a very real thing. So I did some research on how to differ. Prof- professor, if you're listening, <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, <laughs> stress is real. Um, from I did some research and looking at the ILSA website, they gave three different ways to cope with stress based on your kind of personality type and the different types of stress that we encounter. Um, So one of those is action-oriented way of handling it. And this is specifically, they say, towards people who have stress or experience stress in the workplace. Um, And the ways that you can help cope with stress in the workplace is by communicating effectively Um, That way you can avoid any confusion. I think that's a huge thing if you work in an office environment when you're trying to work on a project with other people. Just communication can become an issue. If you're not very clear, then it's not going to turn out how you want it to be, and it causes issues. Um, Getting organized to better manage your time. Um, I do know that a lot of people struggle with time management, and that just adds so much stress to their daily lives. And then setting boundaries and taking a break to clear your head. I think sometimes we just need to get up and walk away and take five minutes and catch our breath for a minute and process through. So the other way is emotion-oriented. This, they say, works well for younger people and can work in different situations. Um, Using positive affirmations participating in cognitive behavioral therapy to change your perception of the stressors and taking an optimistic view of future events and focusing on positive outcomes. You know, I've heard a saying and it's if you're stressed out about a situation coming up and you keep thinking about it and focusing about it instead of just living through that experience once you're forcing yourself to live through it multiple times. Mm -hmm. So it can cause issues there. And then the last one that they have is acceptance-oriented. This is people who kind of want to take action or maybe they can't get away from the stressors they're dealing with. So the way that you can cope with that is through exercise, um, eating a healthy diet, doing some deep breathing exercises or some meditation, making sure you get adequate sleep, and avoid social media sites which might create these negative feelings within i think as we talked about mental health and social media just the negative impacts it can have on people so but i knew you would get around at some point to talking about fitness and 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 working out would help out with stress naturally yeah there's there's a huge benefit you know when you are exercising you are putting your body through stress you're making it kind of enter into this fight or flight mode you're stressing it out but it's a good stress because after you leave the gym you've got all these endorphins and you feel good um, so it can actually be a very good way of managing stress in the workplace or in your daily life. So stress helped out if you have issues, go out just a simple walk. Yeah, get some fresh air, you know, get some sunlight, take a breath, you know. 
it's just taking time and if you can move and stuff it it can also help your body and your brain kind of process through those things well i mentioned one of the things i heard you mention was sleep what if you can't sleep because you're stressed take some melatonin I (laughs) (laughs) I, i don't know that's that is a hard one because i've been in situations where you know you can't sleep because you're stressed or sometimes starting a new job when i first start i have dreams about it specifically like when i first started waitressing like when i was younger i kept dreaming that people couldn't hear what i was saying and i kept having to repeat myself mm-hmm. have you ever like not heard someone and you keep saying what what and by the time you're ready to ask for the third or fourth time you just laugh and hope it wasn't a question <laughs> i don't think that's ever happened to me oh. but i'm sure like you you did did you make all a's in college for the most part i had a couple b's did you stress out over making those a's some of them yes okay they were pretty big did you do anything special for that i hit the gym you hit the gym okay well i didn't hit the gym back in my college days but i did stress out a lot and one thing i did which is not a good answer i don't think is i went and got the no dose. what is that the pills you can take to try oh. to stay awake oh no and i didn't realize that taking those things made me like jitter i stayed awake all right yeah, but at what cost oh I, it didn't take me but once or twice taking those things like oh my god you could hear I, colors and see sounds I mean, they're legal they're over the counter i don't want you thinking i did something illegal or you're but, taking but, drugs yeah but it's something they sold in the gift shop and i went down there and got well and i think that's true especially for college students you know people pull all-nighters trying to study because they're stressed out for this big test or writing a 3,000 word paper that they should have done weeks ago again time management something you would never have done no well and that's the interesting thing you know you remember your like freshman year of college when you'd have like a 250 word page paper due and you were stressing out about it and then by the time you're a senior you got a 3,000 word paper due at midnight and it's like 9 p.m and you're like I'm about to crank this out no problem you know I don't remember those days no I just know I that I lost, them. I had a probably a 3,000-word English report one time that was completely lost. Did your dog eat it? No, my, this was, I mean, I'm, I'm a little older than you, <laughs> so when I was going through college, most people didn't have computers. So you used a typewriter. I, I did have a word processor, if you even know what that is. I do. And so I had a word processor, but my friend said, oh, you can come use my thing called a PC. I think he <laughs> called it that. I don't know. So I, I stayed in his room all night long typing this freaking thing out, and at some point, something happened, and I lost it. Oh, no. And I, I was completely gone. And I'm thinking, why? Why me? <laughs> I about went down and checked out of school and quit college, but somehow I'm, a, I'm an idiot, and I stayed. Even though I failed that class, I failed it. Oh, gosh, I bet. I stayed somehow in college somehow, and look at me today. Look at you go. I'm a failure. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Never was good at the English language. I actually failed English more than once in college. Really? I'm proud of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm a pretty good writer. I'm a pretty good I'm pretty good with the English language, too. <laughs> but, but no, my, my college experience, I don't know if your English was like this. It was heavy on English literature. No. Yeah, well, mine was. I only had to take two English classes. I had to take four. And we most of them were, we, we'd get books that were about six inches thick and have to go through, read, and then write about what the people were thinking back in 1600. And I didn't do very well. I was stressed out. I needed to have you share this segment with me. <laughs> Anything else you got to say? I got another stress reliever. No, let's hear it. 
You ready? Mm-hmm. So Sunday evening across the south, we had some scattered th- scattered thunderstorms hit. Yeah. Did you get any rain out at your place? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, late afternoon, I was I was driving around, and you know what I saw? What? A beautiful rainbow. Hmm. And it just hit me about how beautiful rainbows really are. And I'm not on drugs here today. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> I am not on the, But no, it just it, it took something like that to say, how could you not believe in God, which a rainbow is a symbol of God's covenant? Yeah. How could you not believe in a God when you see something like a rainbow? Because a rainbow, I don't think there's ever been anybody in the world who said, man, that rainbow's ugly. That's, a, that's one ugly thing up there. Right. And when you see a rainbow, it's just beautiful. Yeah. It's just beautiful, and and they're magical too. Because how could a rainbow pop up there, but then when you get over to a certain here, point, to a certain point, it's not there anymore. Right. I mean, what's the? I mean, there's there's nothing tangible there. It's not like you can go up there and grab it. Yeah. Why? Why there? Why now? Yeah. It's just a. It's an act of God, and it's a beautiful act of God. Have you ever seen a triple rainbow? No, but I saw another one just after I saw the big one that I saw. Then I saw another one a couple of miles down the road. But yeah. a triple rain. Where did you see one of those? Uh, here in Tennessee okay. a couple years ago. Yeah. There was, take a picture? No, I didn't get a picture. And what? it's hard to see sometimes when you try to get a picture of them, like, to show up. But, but it's just a beautiful thing. And, it is. And, it, and it, it struck me that sometimes in life, some beautiful things are out there, kind of like you. What? And we don't take it, we don't appreciate them. I think, I think too. That was a compliment. Well, thank you. <laughs> I think, too, the... Uh, like the storms and stuff how they can be kind of dark and depressing and then you've got this beautiful rainbow like right afterwards too good things come out of storms i just mentioned in the headlines that west coast of florida likely going to see a hurricane this week yeah and those things are horrible and they're they're so so awful yeah but you know what happens right after a hurricane Rainbow. days of sunshine yeah and hot weather usually this time of year but it's going to be gorgeous in a place that's going to have a lot of destruction but the rainbows, I just wanted to take a moment to just, everybody stress can, relief. stress relief, just just think of a rainbow and hopefully you'll see one. Because there's no rhyme or reason when they they happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was rain Sunday. Why did I have to see a rainbow that was that massive? And uh, I should have got out and taken a selfie. I thought about it, but I'm like, nah, <laughs> nah, I'm not really into that. But it is, again, if nothing else, they're a reminder of God and the covenant that he made with noah and all that and um pretty cool thing and again something we can't buy you can't all of a sudden create a rainbow yeah they just happen isn't that the interesting thing you know everything in nature is so beautiful and uh, we humans try to mimic and recreate what god's already created you know we kind of forge it well personally i don't think everything in nature is beautiful it has a beauty to it like snakes aren't so beautiful to me well no but depending how you look at it and i'm not a big fan of weeds <laughs> but rainbows sure are pretty <laughs> okay we'll focus on the rainbow and i i just wanted to point that out as a good stress reliever and so I, I thought of you i'm like i have to bring that up to megan take a drive when's the last time you saw a rainbow it's been a couple weeks weeks okay yeah. not, not not the last recently. one i really saw that was big was well over a year ago yeah no it's been a little while and it was a beautiful thing to see, and I just had to share that with you here. Thank you.
Well, thank you, Megan. We'll see you back here Wednesday. Wednesday. On the Y'all Show. When we come back, it's all about the Texas Longhorns as we wrap up this hour with a conversation about the Big 12 team that's headed to the SEC in 2024. All about Steve Sarkeesian and the Horns when the Y'all Show wraps up this Monday edition. Horns. We're back on the Y'all Show. We have been on a little tour across the southeast the last few weeks, getting you ready for the start of college football's 2023 return. And we had a few games go down over the weekend, but teams like the Texas Longhorns won't be kicking it off until a few more days. As we're back here on the Y'all Show, closing out this final hour of our Monday edition, telling you about the Big 12's Texas Longhorns. As we're on this tour across the southeast today, we're in Austin, on Tuesday, it's all about the Tennessee Vols, the other UT. Wednesday's Y'all Show will be featuring the Florida State Seminoles. Thursday's Y'all Show will be spotlighting the 2023 edition of Nick Saban's Alabama Crimson Tide. And then come Friday, the last of our previews of college football teams in anticipation of the 2023 season, it's the South Carolina Gamecocks and Coach Shane Beamer as they will be part of College Game Day Saturday in Uptown Charlotte as they get ready to take on the heels of Mac Brown. So we've got all that fun coming the rest of the way, but today it's all burnt orange as we discuss the burnt orange bovines of the University of Texas. UT, baby! <laughs> so Texas starts its season off with a familiar foe, at least back in the good old Southwest Conference days, as the Rice Owls will be on the schedule for Texas Longhorn football as they'll be coming into DKR Texas Memorial Stadium for a game on Fox Saturday at 3.30 Eastern, 2.30 Central. The Rice Owls flying in from Houston for this in-state battle. Love to see these old teams get together, and that's what's happening this weekend in Austin. Rice and the Longhorns. It'll be a tough week two contest for Steve Sarkeesian's bunch They'll be in Tuscaloosa to take on the Alabama Crimson Tide. Remember, last year's game was such a close one in Austin. This year, the return game, UT and Bama at Bryant-Denny Stadium Week 2. The Horns welcome in the Cowboys of Wyoming on September the 16th. Baylor is the Big 12 opener for Sarkeesian's bunch as they'll be traveling to Waco for a game against the Bears September 23rd. Kansas is going to be the opponent on September 30th KU and UT getting together on September 30th at DKR Texas Memorial Stadium 
Remember, Kansas went in and beat the Longhorns at DKR, Texas Memorial Stadium, the last time they got together in Austin. Rock chalk. It's the final time that Oklahoma and Texas get together as Big 12 members for the Red River Shootout. The Cotton Bowl in Dallas is where you'll see these two get together October 7th for an exciting Red River Shootout on ABC. The Houston Cougars are now a member of the Big 12, and they'll have their one and only battle of Big 12 membership with the Texas Longhorns as UH comes to Austin. No, rather, this game is at Houston. Texas is at UH on the 21st of October. On Halloween weekend, the BYU Cougars, also a new Big 12 member, BYU comes into the state capital of the Lone Star State for a game October 28th. The Longhorns will be at K-State November 4th. They'll be at TCU November 11th. Then they'll also be at Iowa State November 18th. And then the home schedule wraps up the day after Thanksgiving with the Texas Tech Red Raiders coming into Austin for a game on Friday, November 24th. So a busy, busy schedule with those two Big 12 newcomers showing up on the schedule, K-State and Houston. You might have heard, I did not mention that the Longhorns are playing Oklahoma State this year. And trying to think who else they may not be playing because of the other additions to the conference. But they're not playing Oklahoma State. I guess they're not playing... They're playing both Kansas schools. They're playing Iowa State. I can't figure it out right now. But Texas has a pretty difficult schedule. A schedule that Steve Sarkeesian is going to have to try to guide his program through. This 49-year-old Torrance, California native who once was a player himself as a quarterback at El Camino College and at BYU before going into the CFL for a few years. Steve Sarkeesian was an assistant coach with Pete Carroll at USC before becoming USC's head football coach for a few years after the Lane Kiffin era at USC came to an end as he was head coach back in 2014 and 2015 there for the men of Troy. Then, a career changer for him, he went to be an Alabama assistant, and he was Bama's offensive coordinator for several years, sandwiched between his stints in Tuscaloosa was a two-year run as the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator, but did a great job leading Alabama's offense for a few years. That's how he ended up getting a chance to get back into being a college football head coach as he got hired at Texas in 2021. And so far in Austin, it has been ho-hum for the Sarkeesian era. His first year, they finished 5-7, and seven, didn't go to a bowl. His year two last year, Texas was 8-5. and five. They lost the Alamo Bowl as they went off and played the Washington Huskies, and the Huskies there in San Antonio won that game 27-20. So this year, a lot of expectations for what's going to be their final year as a Big 12 member, the Texas Longhorns and Sarkeesian leading the way. Sarkeesian just recently spoke in Austin as he's getting his team prepared for the Rice Owls. Let's go in and hear a little bit about the 2023 edition of the Burnt Orange Texas Longhorns from head coach Steve Sarkeesian. Coming out of two 
two scrimmages and, and two and a half weeks of camp, um, you know, being healthy is is probably near the top of the list of priorities for us. And you can't always predict. Sometimes injuries occur. The, the game is the game. Uh, but I think it's a real credit to our to our strength and conditioning staff of of getting our players prepared for training camp. Uh, I think it's a credit to our training staff, uh, you know, and the job they did from a recovery standpoint of getting people, you know, back to close to 100% every day. Uh, and when guys were getting nicked up, you know, getting them back and getting them back on the field. So that, that, that was a real positive for us. As far as the scrimmage directly goes, you know, I thought defensively um, they, they, had a good, they had a good scrimmage. And I think it started, A, with their energy. I thought they brought really good positive energy for one another, and it, and it showed. You know, a lot of defense – is about effort it's about attitude and then you, you got to play right and i thought that they brought that i thought a running defense was was very stout i thought they did a the defense did a nice job in the red zone of getting stops in the red area at times although maybe the ball moved down the field they found a way to get stops and to force field goals which was really real positive and i think a lot of that the run game and red zone stops started up front i thought the the line of scrimmage our, our front seven is playing a, a really good brand of football right now um, I was proud of him for that. And, and some of the guys that stood out up front, because it, I don't get to talk about everybody all the time, but that Tavondre Sweat probably had his best day Saturday. And when he plays like that, we're a lot better uh, because he's very difficult to block. I thought Leonga LaFowle has really made a lot of strides from spring ball through the first 10 days or so of training camp and you know had a really good scrimmage Saturday. I thought Ethan Burke had a really nice scrimmage, um, you know, kind of, you know, both edges kind of getting solidified now, and I feel really good about those first three guys with Sorrell, uh, Justice, and Burke and, and what those guys can do. I thought Gavin Holmes had a really good week, and the week turned out to he had a really good scrimmage, and so that, that was a positive. Uh, and then the two guys that have been mainstays up front that have been you know kind of solidifying their spots and what they're doing, obviously Alfred Collins and Byron Murphy again. you know, And so – that, that, that front is, is tough. Um, they're big, they're physical, they're athletic. Uh, they're playing really well together. And I think a lot of that stems from Jalen, uh, just his communication up there at the, at the line of scrimmage and getting everybody tied together. So that was good. Yeah. All right, that was the 31st head football coach of the Texas Longhorns speaking just a few days back, Steve Sarkeesian, as the Horns getting ready to open up the 2023 season at DKR Memorial Stadium there in Austin against the Rice Owls. And that'll be a great, great opportunity with the home crowd to, to root for maybe a victory against Rice, which is the victories, as I said, right now in his two seasons in the books, the most he's been able to tally up so far, eight, and that was last year. They didn't hire him to get in there and beat the Rices of the world. They they hired Sarkeesian to win a national championship. By the way, when Sarkeesian was hired at Texas, his initial contract at UT, $34 million. Six years, $34 million. That's not a lot of money compared to these other guys. Of course, he is not, not necessarily earned much more than that at this point in my opinion. He's got to win big time. And so we wish him the the best here. <laughs> and uh, trying to guide this program back to the mountaintop that Mac Brown took it in, what, 19, rather, not, not, not 19, in 2005 when I guess it would have been a Steve Sarkeesian assistant tenure there in Tinseltown with USC that they ended up 
losing to the Texas Longhorns and a guy named Vince Young and Mac Brown coaching that team at the Rose Bowl at that time that Texas last won their national championships. So about this 2023 team that Steve Sarkeesian was just breaking down, lots of names he was throwing out there, talking about his Horns team. We went to foxsports.com, and they've got an article up about the Texas Longhorns odds, the over and under win total for this year. And according to Texas Longhorns odds makers, the over under is 9.5 wins. 9.5 for this year. So you're telling me they might get to 10 wins. Texas has a regular season over under of 9.5. That means they have a 58.7% chance of finishing above that number. So 10 wins, then they go off and maybe win a bowl game, 11 wins. That would be an improvement. Not quite national championship quality, but progress made for Sarkeesian, for the Sark man. Last year, the Horns averaged 429 yards per game offensively, but they surrendered 368 yards per game on the defensive side of the ball. Texas ranked 36th in run offense last year and 32nd in run defense. 36th run offense, 32nd run defense. The strength of schedule, Texas will play the third toughest schedule this season in the country based on the opponent's combined win total last year. So it's not going to be easy for Sark to get that double-digit tally, but I think he can. He can, thanks to a lot of the players he's got coming back. How about Quinn Ewers? Quinn Ewers, with a 58% completion percentage, passing for 15 touchdowns and 6 interceptions in 2022. So Texas is one of those teams, I think, that might find themselves, based on the Big 12's formula for getting to the championship game, they could be competing this year, which is not exactly what you could have said about them in the last couple of years. That big, big contest with Oklahoma is going to loom large for them when that happens in the Cotton Bowl will come up in in October. Now, let's tell you a little bit about some of the great traditions that you'll find in Austin for the Texas Longhorns. I think the top tradition by far is Bevo, the lovable Longhorn steer that Texas makes a big presentation out of when they even go on road trips. Bevo is well taken care of by a veterinarian team, and he comes and hangs out at the Texas Sporting Contest. Bevo, a great tradition of college football, the live mascot of the Texas Longhorns. Did you know that the first Bevo had a bunch of Texas A&M pranksters brand that Longhorn brand him with the 13-0 on his side. That was the score of the game that was recently won by A&M. So Texas students changed that brand to read B-E-V-O by changing the 13 to a B, to a B the, and then the dash to an E and then put a V between 
the dash and zero. So now I know how they got that name thir- 13 to nothing got changed into Bevo. I had never heard that story. Other traditions of the Texas Longhorns is that sign that they make with their fingers and then the expression, hook them horns. You might see people like Matthew McConaughey, huge Texas alum, huge Texas supporter, give us the hook them horns. And now that the Longhorns are SEC bound, there's talk already about what kind of penalty there will be in the Southeastern Conference if you do a horns down, you know, reversing it upside down. An insult to Texas, supposedly. But the Hook'em Horns is definitely a huge UT tradition. Also, the big gigantic drum there that the Texas band has, Big Bertha, a great tradition of the burnt orange. The Chancellor Spurs is a Texas Longhorn tradition. That is a award given to the winner of the Texas Texas Tech game each and every year. Also, the colors themselves, burnt orange and white. There's no other college football team out there that has that color combination, and that is a great tradition of the Texas Longhorns. You'll also find at a UT football game, the lovable cannon that fires off when the touchdown is scored, Smokey the Cannon. Then you have Earl Campbell, one of the great players of Texas football back in the 1970s, the Tyler Rose, who went on to play for the Houston Oilers, Earl Campbell, one of the great Texas legends, and I think he won a Heisman. Pretty sure he did. The 40 Acres, that's the nickname of the campus there in Austin. That's a great Texas tradition. How about songs like The Eyes of Texas, a part of Texas game days, and more. And then, just the tremendous fan support. We've got to give Texas a lot of love, because boy, do they have the fans of all types around the country that love those horns and this year Texas football wraps up their tenure in the Big 12 Conference before a date in 2024 with the Southeastern Conference congratulations to Texas for reaching the 2023 season again it's the Rice Owls coming into DKR for the opener this weekend coming up on the Tuesday Y'all Show it's all about the other UT the Tennessee Vols and we'll break down their schedule and more So tune in for that until we get back together Tuesday. Y'all have a wonderful rest of your Monday. And thank you for listening to the show that shakes the Southland. And uh, get those hook'em signs up, y'all. We'll see you back here Tuesday.